Well, welcome again to another episode of The Unhappy Christian. My name is Dr. Rick Peterson, and I am your host for this series of podcasts where we discuss moving away from the wilderness of toxic spirituality, counterfeit Christianity, and into the joyful, healthy spirituality of authentic Christian faith. Now, we started this series of podcasts because this unhappiness amongst Christians that is tied directly to their Christian experience is so widespread, it's so prevalent among evangelical Christians. And you wouldn't think so. I mean, to attend many worship services on Sunday morning, you would think that with the the atmosphere and the stage and the band and the waving of the arms and 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 all that's going on there that there's there's just a lot of happiness about where people are at spiritually but it has been my observation and quite frankly at times my personal experience both in my counseling work as well as in casual conversation with many Christians over the years that there is an abiding unhappiness in some cases, even a spiritual depression that's tied to the current Christian experience that people are having. Now, there is a reason for that. It isn't as though the Word of God has failed. It isn't as though the gospel has come short of, of God's saving purposes. It isn't as if the scriptures are not true. It isn't as if Christianity has lost its way in the sense that, uh, as it's revealed in Scripture. What it does mean is that Christians are steeped in a twisted, distorted, even perverted form of Christianity that maintains all the symbols, maintains all the terminologies, but is really a distortion, a perversion a half-truth, masking as Christianity. Now, this is absolutely prevalent right now. It has always been the case. But this isn't a podcast where I simply want to come on here and rant. I'm not interested in ranting. or I don't. I love the church. I belong to a church. I always have for the most part, when I wasn't actually pastoring a church, I was belonging to a church. So uh, the church is the body of Christ. I think it's better, more accurate to say that part of the reason I do these podcasts is because I love the church, because I'm grieved deeply by seeing the church drift away from the truth of the gospel and further and further into a cultural um, attitude, an adoption of cultural views, cultural ways, business models, and things that simply cheapen and distort and ultimately rob the Christian of the voice of their shepherd. Now, this has been the case throughout redemptive history. Throughout redemptive history, God's people have staggered down the road like the drunken sailor, from one extreme to the other. Ancient Israel, for example, was plagued by false prophets and idolatry, and as well as uh, sexual immorality and oppression of the poor, 
they, they had the law, but they did not keep the law. Uh, when Jesus came on the scene, they were so far removed from the truth of the scriptures that although they searched them, they did not see that it was he that the scriptures pointed to. And though so they were in a very grim state. And it were it not for the intervention of sovereign grace, then and now, no one would have been saved. So these are serious topics that we're talking about. It is naive, at best, to believe that somehow, simply because a building has a steeple and a cross, and it says Brand X Christian Church on the, on the front door, that somehow you're going to hear the gospel. I, I think most pastors, most sober-minded pastors and church leaders today would agree with that statement. The problem is that simply agreeing with that statement doesn't do anything. We have to begin to prescribe a solution to you and for you. I know that there are pastors who are simply biding their time. They're simply waiting to get through it, or they wish they could do something else for a living, or, they, or they're so discouraged themselves that they, that they wonder how they can survive another week. Uh, they, they see the corruption even uh, in the uh, character and the behavior and the conduct of their congregants, and they wonder, oh, this can't be Christianity, and they're trying their best to address it, but they aren't at the same time because they are constrained by maybe an elder board or a denominational board that is forcing them to adopt seeker sensitivity or some form of cultural standards for the gospel that simply diminish, water down, and leave the gospel devoid of its power. Now, I have said before, and I'm just giving you a brief review here. If you're new to us, this is what we're talking about. We have to begin, if we're going to recover joyful spirituality, if we're going to know the joy of our salvation, to know the joy of God's saving work in Christ. And there is joy. There is joy to be had. Joy is your spiritual birthright. In the first letter of John, he said that he was writing, in fact, so that our joy may be made full. So we, we can rejoice. We have cause for rejoicing. But we have to begin by acknowledging the wilderness that we're in. And we have to acknowledge the fact that 98% of Protestantism today and I'm not speaking in some kind of advocacy for Catholicism or Orthodoxy or some other sectarian, cultish thing. I'm just acknowledging. I consider myself Protestant. I consider myself an evangelical, though that's a very hard title to wear these days. Um, I have been since 1973. I've been around the block for decades now. So uh, I'm not an anti-church, anti-Christianity person. What I am is I am a very much a loyal son of the church, and I am a also a very grieved pastor and counselor 
because people are getting something less than the truth of the gospel. So we have to acknowledge that first. And then I've said before that we have to rec reconcile ourselves to the fact that we can recover. We can recover the voice of our shepherd. So here we are standing in this wilderness of toxic spirituality, this toxic counterfeit Christianity, this quadrant of Protestantism in which liberalism, charismania, dispensationalism, and covenant theology bordering on theonomy is um, defining 98% of Protestant Christianity. And each one of those quadrants is, is teaching half-truths. They're teaching systems that have been imposed upon the Scripture. They're teaching half-truths that you know in your spirit, when you hear it, is not right. Or that you perhaps have been indoctrinated so deeply into that you assume it's the truth and you have not taken the time to study for yourself, as did the noble Bereans in the book of Acts, and determine what is not right, what is not true, what doesn't line, line up with Scripture. Listen, I said it before, and I'll say it again, that the devil traffics in half-truth. The battle is not between the lie, per se, and truth. The battle, biblically, spiritually, is between the half-truth and the whole truth. It's between a reduction, reductionist, truncated gospel, which is really another gospel at that point, and the whole counsel of God. And so you have this quadrant, and, and almost it's almost certain that if you're listening to me, and you, you know this, this spiritual depression, this spiritual discontent, it is because you are influenced by one or more of those quadrants who are trying to sell you half-truths as though they were full-truths. Now, I may have offended many of you even by saying that. I hope not. It's not my goal to offend anybody. Again, it's not my goal to rant. But it is my goal to acknowledge the reality. It is my goal to, to beg you to recognize that, that this level of spiritual depression, the spiritual discontent, this disillusionment is a form of discernment. And it wouldn't be the first time throughout church history there has been needs for revival and reformation and restoration over and over and over and over again. So it ought not shock us if we find ourselves there in 2021, that we're there again. So let's, let's start with that. We're in the wilderness. We need to move back into the green pastures. Now, we have to acknowledge the fact that we can't do that on our own. In fact, we dare not try to do it on our own. If we are in the wilderness... And we are a lost sheep. Maybe we, perhaps we're even a lost flock. And we begin to take steps, thinking they're going to move us out of the wilderness. 
based upon our own resources, based upon our own self-will, our own understanding, then uh, quite frankly, we're simply going to go in circles. We're going to wander and we're going to keep wondering and wandering. So what is necessary in order to move out of the wilderness is to recover the voice of your shepherd. I read John chapter 10 again this morning. It was such a beautiful chapter. And of course, the context begins way back in John chapter 9 when Jesus healed the man who had been born blind from birth. And, uh, and so he um, uh, was healed. And then his parents were called on the carpet by the Pharisees to explain it. And they said, well, we know he's our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how it was he got healed. And, and they said that because they were concerned that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. They would be kicked out of the church if they acknowledged Jesus as having healed their son. And so the Pharisees encounter the man himself, the man who can now see. And he engages them, they engage him, and they end up kicking him out of the synagogue. They end up kicking him out of the church. In fact, in verse 34, chapter 9 of John, it says, To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? That's the state of pastoral care in first century Israel. They were in it for themselves. They were in it for their own self-righteousness. They were in it for their own purposes. They weren't there to shepherd the people of Israel. Jeremiah 23 will describe that to you if you're interested. And so they kicked him out of the church, and Jesus then found him. When Jesus heard that the man that he had healed had been kicked out of the church, they had thrown him out, the NIV says. He went and he found this man. And he asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And then Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Now some Pharisees, Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. End quote. That's the context for the Good Shepherd text in John chapter 10. This backdrop. This backdrop of a man who was born blind, who had no hope, and his parents even cringed at the thought of even owning how it was that it happened for fear that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. And when the man began to tell the Pharisees about Jesus, about 
how how it could be. He said, I don't even know who this man was who who healed me, but I know this that God doesn't answer answer the prayers of sinners. And so they kick him out of the synagogue. How dare they? How dare that man? <laughs> as if he, he said that you have been born in sins and you dare lecture us as if they hadn't been. And so the man is kicked out. Think of that. That's the state he's in at that moment. He's kicked out of the synagogue. Now that was a big deal in those days. That was a big deal. If you were kicked out of the synagogue, you were cut off from family. You were cut off economically, socially. It was meant to punish you and shame you. It was an excommunication that was wide, had widespread implications in your life. It didn't mean that you just got up and walked down to the next synagogue down the street. The whole community turns you out. So, this man gets healed by Jesus. He tells the Pharisees that it's really something that they don't know who it is who healed him. And they get mad and kick him out. And there's, there he stands, kicked out of the synagogue. But, you know what? He can see now. He has eyes. He can see where he hadn't been able to see before. And so Jesus hears about him. And here's the good shepherd. Jesus hears how he was kicked out of the synagogue. And what Jesus didn't do is say, well, you know, that's too bad. Or, you know, it's synagogue business. I shouldn't interfere. And being a Jew, I shouldn't interfere in the Jewish community. If they, if they want to kick him out, then that's, that's their business. But that's not what he said he sought the man out and so and told the man encountered him with the need to believe in him which of course we just read the man did and worship him but even that didn't change the pharisees and so verse chapter 10 verse 1 opens this way very verily excuse me very truly i tell you pharisees so Jesus continues the conversation with the Pharisees in John chapter 10. This is another one of those cases, folks, where the, the um, uh, chapter breaks do not serve us. Because this is a continued conversation from chapter 9. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. End quote. 
So what I'm advocating for here is for us to begin to return to the need to hear the voice of our shepherd. In an ideal situation, we would gather once, twice, three weeks together in our local church, our local congregation, and there would be a, a level of health, spiritual health. There would be a devotion to the integrity of Scripture. There would be a uh, reverent, joyful worship. There would be a discipline within the church to love so that you would hear the voice of your shepherd every time you attended church. And if you didn't, one day it would be rare, it would be shocking, it would be unsettling. But in an ideal situation, that's what you should be able to do. You should be able to come to your fellowship, and you should come away having heard the voice of your shepherd. And to the degree that you do not today, to the degree that you do not hear the voice of your shepherd, it is only right and good that you are unhappy, that you are an unhappy Christian. Our joy, our delight, our purpose, our wholeness, our comfort, our strength, our future, our identity, is all tied to him and to being able to hear his voice. So we must not simply having acknowledged that we are in the wilderness. We must not fall back on our own resources. We must not rise up and try to make something happen in our own strength. Rather, if necessary, if you're not hearing the voice of your shepherd within your church fellowship, if necessary, you must start somewhere. And so you, I've been saying to you that you come to the text. When I talk about the voice of your shepherd, I'm talking about via the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about coming to be in a, in a state of sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit through the text of Scripture so that you are, through the ministry of the Spirit, through the instrumentality of the Scriptures, you are sensitized. You are aware. You grow in your awareness and in your joy at knowing the voice of your shepherd throughout the day and night. So that you can wake up at 2.30 in the morning and know that your shepherd is with you and even hear his voice, know the comfort of his presence. But this means that we must first block out. We must step away from the clang and the bang and the noise of the culture. We must step away from the clanging symbols of false shepherds and charlatans. And we must come to the quiet. We must be still and know that he is God and approach 
the, this text of Scripture with it in a disciplined, sober mind. And I have said before, while devotional reading is good, it isn't enough. We'll not get the nourishment that we need. We'll not get the spiritual nourishment we need through devotional reading. We need to engage the text of Scripture within its context. Okay, now I know I'm being repetitious in these series of podcasts, but, but repetition is the best teacher known to man, folks. So stick with me. We won't just be here forever, but we have to lay some important foundations. So let's commit together to hear the voice of our shepherd, and let's recognize that that means that the voice of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the text, is inseparable from the text. You can't just run out and have some subjective experience because you don't know if that's God or not. Maybe, but it may not be. And so you want to anchor your spiritual experience, your subjective spiritual experience, in the objective truth of Scripture. And we do that by taking the text seriously, by coming to it, reading it within its historic, literary, and grammatical context, and within its own context, I mean, its greater context, its covenantal and eschatological context. Now, that's a lot, I realize. Don't let that scare you away. Don't turn me off. <laughs> don't, don't wipe your brow and say, well, that's enough for me. I was looking for some, some light uh, formula to help me just get happy overnight. Well, I don't know that I can do that for you, but I can set you on a path, perhaps. I know I can set you on a path, same path that I've followed, and it's led me to joyful, greener pastures, and I want that for you. So, let me just explain then, in the time I have left. When you come to the scripture, come prayerfully. Come anticipating that you're going to hear the voice of the Spirit in the text. So come to the text with prayerful anticipation. And then read the text within its context. For some reason, we read the Bible like we would never read any other form of literature. We, we, we wouldn't read a novel by opening it up to the middle and reading three paragraphs and think we got it, or reading three lines and think we got it. So we've been taught to think of the Bible as some kind of set of propositional truths whereby we can derive theological systems that only theologians can understand. Or that it's um, a set of nice stories. When it's not that at all. It's, it's, it's a narrative. It's a, it, most of it is written in narrative form. It's a, it's a story, a redemptive story that's been progressively re-revealed from Genesis to Revelation. And in that progressive revelation is fully met in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that when I speak of a covenantal context, I'm saying that the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses uh, of Moses with na the nation of Israel, and the Davidic covenant... God's covenant with King David, are all fulfilled in the new covenant 
which Christ consecrated with his own blood and which he inaugurated in his first coming. So that if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit dwelling within you, you no longer belong to this present evil age. Galatians chapter 1 says that Jesus gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil age. You're in it, it's around you, it's ugly, but you're not of it. It's, it's, not, it's not what you see on CNN that you derive your identity, purpose, and hope from. You derive the fact, your identity, purpose, and hope from the fact that you are now a child of God as a result of God's saving action in Christ. And that means you belong to a future kingdom age that has been inaugurated into the present with the first coming of Christ. And with the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, you are now a temple of the Spirit. God has taken up residence within you so that you live in an already but not yet state, meaning that you're already saved and you will be fully realized in the implications of that in the future. You are already adopted as a child of God. And the full realization of those adoptions, of that adopted state, is yet to be realized. But you are nonetheless an adopted into the house of the Father. You are nonetheless a child of God. And you are nonetheless the recipient of the Spirit. You are marked out from the world by the very presence of the living God dwelling in you. That's the covenantal and eschatological context of the Bible in its brief form. So when you open up your Bible, you, what you're looking into is the progressive revelation of God's redemption as reached its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. God's purposes for humanity, which includes you, was met and realized and demonstrated in the person of Jesus. And from his resurrection day forward, and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost that followed the resurrection, Christians belong to him and to a new age. Now, in the present, the new covenant age has begun. So you have to have that context. That is an essential framework for understanding what you're reading. And without that framework, you're, you're naturally going to wonder what it is you're reading. You're not quite going to be, be able to grasp what you're reading. And that's very important because remember, what we're trying to do is recover the voice of the Spirit in the text. Because it's the voice of the, of the Holy Spirit who mediates to you the voice of your shepherd. The Spirit of Christ. So, that's, that's the, the beginning steps of moving out of the wilderness of toxic spirituality and back into a state of healthy, joyful spirituality. And that's what I want for you. That's why I'm doing these podcasts. Now, next time we'll talk about the community context.
Do you realize that most of Scripture was written, if not almost all of it, really, with to be read to a community, to be understood to a community? It was written, Paul seldom, maybe to Philemon was one word letter, or to Timothy, um, or to Titus. There, there were letters that he wrote to individuals. But generally speaking, he wrote to churches. And he wrote to churches in a way that was to be read and understood by the community. In other words, that letter was not just to the leaders of the church. It wasn't just a letter from the apostle to the bishop. It was a letter to the community. And that everything about the Christian life was to be lived out within community. Let me say it this way. We, we understand salvation is personal, very personal. But it's also very communal. It's also something that's realized and worked out within community. And that's why the battle is so hot for the integrity of the church. That's why the enemy of souls has, has focused so sharply, so aggressively on redefining the church. Because the church is the eschatological people of God living in the present day. The temple of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a quick example and we'll need to be done for the day. In Galatians chapter 5, when we read of the fruit of the Spirit, what Paul is saying there, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, temperance, kindness, self-control... What he's describing there is the normative character of the body of Christ. The normative character of the community of, of Christ's fellowship. So, everything Paul writes is intended to address the health of the community. Because our health is tied directly to the community. So there, I've gone full circle. Just like a bad, toxic, abusive, neglective church environment will make you miserable. So also, a healthy, functioning church will make you healthy, will help facilitate joy and healing and wholeness in your life. Now, I grant you that there's not a lot of those out there these days. But once you begin to hear the voice of your shepherd, once you begin to re-engage with the text of Scripture, prayerfully in anticipation of recovering the voice of your shepherd, you begin to follow him out of the wilderness, step by step. Someone asked Gordon Fee one time, how do you walk by the Spirit? And he said, one step at a time. So the key, I'll leave you with this, the key to Recovering joyful spirituality is to recover the voice of the Spirit within the text. Because in doing so, what we'll really be doing is rediscovering and re being reoriented to the voice of your shepherd, whom you can then follow out of the wilderness, and he will lead you back into green pasture. So that's what we're about in these podcasts, is the how, how to do all that. 
I can't explain it all in one one session. And I am being repetitious because some of you are new to these episodes. And if you've been here, if you've been following these podcasts, I, I want to commend you for your perseverance and hearing it again and again and again because that's how it gets way down deep into the cellular level of our, of our minds and bodies and spirits. So, we're going to pause there and we'll pick it up next time with more discussion about how Actually, it was just hearing me talk. <laughs> I'd love to have discussion with you. I'd love to see all your faces. I'd love to take your questions one-on-one. But this format doesn't afford that. But next time we get together, we'll continue to learn about how we develop that the voice of the shepherd and how that works out in community, even if that's only two or three people, by the way. Better to sit around a table with a half a dozen people who are rowing in the same direction as you are spiritually than to be sitting in a, a large, large environment where nothing good's happening. Now, that's not to say that nothing good can happen within a large environment. There are plenty of healthy, large churches. They're just not so plentiful that you can find one easily. And to find a healthy church environment, or to create one if necessary, means that we must follow the voice of our shepherd. We, we dare not run out and try to create something on our own. That's how cults and heretics begin. That's how they flourish, trying to start something on our own. Now, we need to hear the voice of the shepherd, and we'll talk more next time about how to do that. And may the Lord bless you and strengthen you and comfort you in his presence. Until then, amen.